This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 239, Robots. I'm Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for listening, rating, and subscribing. Are robots taking over? Probably. Are you in imminent danger? Probably not. How bad will it get? That remains to be seen. This week, we'll discuss how much of your life you should turn over to a machine, how just following instructions poses problems for both robots and humans, whether you should trust a TV spokesperson to sell you robot insurance, and how to put tech to work fixing up your underwater habitat and or your real life. We'll start with what I've been preaching. A robot is defined as a machine, especially one programmed by a computer, that can carry out one or more tasks automatically without human assistance. A machine helps a human do the work. A robot does the work for the human. If you have a shovel or an excavator, you can dig a ditch much more easily than if you only had what God gave you. If you have a robot that's properly programmed and equipped, it will dig the ditch while you stay inside and binge watch Yellowstone or whatever. It would seem on the surface that robots are far better than mere machines. And in the short term, if you can afford them, I suppose they are. But this is where the long-anticipated robot uprising comes into play. The fewer decisions humans make regarding their world, the less control humans have when things go wrong. And they always go wrong. If you don't believe me, watch the movies. HAL 9000 won't open the pod bay doors for Dave the Astronaut in 2001 A Space Odyssey. That's the most obvious example. HAL 9000 is my favorite movie robot for obvious reasons. The consistent theme in technology gone haywire scenarios is that we trust the robots to do for us what we should be doing for ourselves. The downside's obvious, and more than a handful of us seem to think it's inevitable. And yet we keep subcontracting out all the tasks we possibly can. From home security systems to package delivery drones, we are determined to do whatever it takes to simplify our life and direct our attention away from important things toward interesting and entertaining things. I'm not worried especially about robot uprisings, but I do make an effort to exert control over the systems that aid and direct my life. I program my thermostat for warm days and cool days, but I have to pay attention and switch back and forth as the situation requires. In Texas this time of year, that might be a few times in a single day. I like having cruise control in my vehicle, but I don't use it much on the back roads or in heavy traffic, or in bad weather conditions. I find myself making adjustments too frequently for cruise control to be worth the effort. Plus, constantly adjusting my speed is a way of making sure I'm aware of my surroundings. Things change quickly when you're behind the wheel, and taking things for granted is a habit that can get you in trouble in a split second. I'll come back to the robot uprising thing later. Right now, I want to caution you about the other responsibilities you have in life and the robot-like systems in place that can be more of a danger than an aid. Take child-rearing, for instance. Americans have mostly subcontracted their children's secular education out to trained professionals for a long time now. We assumed, and rightly so in most instances, that the pros would do a better job and our children were safe in their hands. But there was always a danger in that system, and we're starting to hear more and more stories of the dangers becoming realities. The same thing goes for their entertainment. Trusting devices to amuse the kids may save parents a ton of time, which they likely will use for their own amusement pursuits. But it lets 
complete strangers decide what stimuli to pump into the children's brains. And that's not always a good thing. Frankly, though, I'm just as concerned about the church being used as a robot of sorts to do all the spiritual education in the family. Ephesians 6.4 gives the responsibility to fathers specifically, parents generally, to rear up children in God's ways, not the church. The church has a role to play, certainly, but the responsibility is given to the parent. The same thing goes for individuals who want to let the church do their evangelizing and charity work. One check every Sunday morning, and now you don't have to worry about acting like a Christian the rest of the week. You've paid the elders to be a good Samaritan and lighten the world on your behalf. God never intended to let you off that easy. You personally have work to do in your home, in your relationships, in your money management, in your time management, in every aspect of your life. By subcontracting all that out, you subvert the work of God in your life. Best case scenario, you never develop into the kind of Christian you should be. Worst case scenario, the systems you're trusting lead you down the wrong path and wind up costing you dearly. Don't take that risk. Maintain control at the top. Trust no system but Jesus. This is what I've been reading. The three laws of robotics, according to Isaac Asimov's iRobot, are as follows. One. A robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. 2. A robot must obey orders given it by human beings except where orders would conflict with the first law. 3. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. As far as laws go, I like that. Simple, practical, logical. A good foundation to build an entire industry on especially an industry that could easily and predictably lead to the enslavement of all of humankind. That's really more the theme of the film starring Will Smith that's loosely based on the book. The book is really more a collection of short stories, little vignettes involving robots, all of which are completely governed by the three laws. Mindless, thoughtless rules-keeping can lead to problems, as the humans discover in iRobot. Applying the three laws objectively and consistently in real-world scenarios, it seems, is more complicated than you might think. What happens, for instance, if a robot is carrying a human to safety in a life-threatening situation and comes across another human in a different life-threatening situation? Saving human number two means endangering human number one even further. In the book, a robot can find itself going back and forth between engagement and detachment indefinitely and in so doing actually do far more harm than good. In the real world, value judgments must be made. We have to be able to discern between bad and worse, between good and better. We need to make risk assessments, time management assessments, priorities assessments. And we need more than information to make those judgments. We need a properly trained conscience. I don't know if we'll ever be able to program a robot to truly think for itself instead of just responding to circumstances according to its programming. And frankly, I don't think I want us to be able to. Mature souls, those reared on solid spiritual food, should have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil, according to Hebrews 5.14. The solid food in question, of course, is God's word, especially the more challenging aspects of it. The idea of a clear conscience comes up in the context of our associations with the world in 1 Peter 3, verses 13 through 16. 
Knowing how to give a good answer for the hope that is in us requires knowledge, first of all. But it also requires a proper assessment of the situation. Who's asking the question? What is his or her motivation? Is this the fool you don't answer, a la Proverbs 26.4? Or is it the fool you do answer, a la Proverbs 26.5? It's not an easy assessment to make right there on the spot. And chances are, a robotic response will not get you the results you're hoping for. No one wants to be advised by a robot. Have you ever been on hold and been asked to push two for this or three for that? You know what I'm talking about. Surely the most important aspect of all in any human interaction is to act like a human. Humans make mistakes, and you will too. I wouldn't go so far as to say that's okay, but it's certainly not the end of the world. Do the best you can. That's all God or any reasonable human can ask of you. Yes, you can simplify your reactions and become more effective in your communication by becoming somewhat more automatic. When you hear someone talking about the rapture, for instance, that should trigger some reactions in your mind. Premillennialism, end-time events, probably some conversation about Daniel and Matthew 24. There's nothing wrong with getting some mental wheels in motion ahead of time. Just make sure you're not robotic in your response. It's a real-life person who's talking to you. Listen like a person. Respond like a person. Respect them as a creature of the Creator made in His image. Don't get so caught up in doing the task God has programmed you to do that you forget to be the human He created you to be. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.5, Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. You are being programmed, yes, but not so that you'll become robotic. God's teaching is designed to help you be more responsive to your neighbors, not less. More nuanced in your thinking, not less. More emotional, not less. Cross your T's and dot your I's when you write the word Christian to your neighbors, but only so they'll be able to read what you're writing more effectively. This is what I've been hearing. Sam Waterston is an actor known to people of my generation for two separate but connected roles. For years, he played District Attorney Jack McCoy on the TV series Law and Order, the original one, the one that spawned all the spinoffs. Law and Order was a huge hit in both regular primetime viewing and in syndication. IMDb credits Waterston with exactly 400 appearances as Jack McCoy. So people my parents' age who spent a lot of time watching Law & Order in the 90s came to see Sam Waterston as a thoughtful, ethical, intelligent individual, or at least someone who played that kind of person on TV. In short, the kind of person you'd want to buy insurance from. And that leads to the second role, that of spokesman for Old Glory Insurance in a comedy sketch that aired on Saturday Night Live back in 1995 and remains one of the most popular bits of comedy in the almost 50-year history of that show. Not that there's been a lot to laugh at on SNL in the last few decades, but again, I digress. Old Glory Insurance was an unapologetic mockery of the colonial pen insurance ads of the day, featuring Ed McMahon, who used to be the sidekick on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Johnny Carson was the longtime host of the show. You know what? Never mind. Ed McMahon was known and liked by millions of senior citizens. That's the main point. And his commercial spots were intended to scare seniors in the nicest way possible into buying life insurance. Sam Waterston's brilliant deadpan script read emphasized to the same crowd that robot attacks were an everyday occurrence, 
that robots routinely broke into the homes of senior citizens and ate their medications, that robots killed more people aged 50 and older than heart disease. You get the idea. So don't cower under your Afghan any longer, Waterston kindly but firmly suggested. Make a choice. Old glory insurance for when the metal ones decide to come for you. It probably says something about my generation that when I decided to do an episode dedicated to robots, this two-minute comedy skit was one of the first things I thought of. It was such an on-the-money send-up of people, often older people, who are confronted by things they don't understand and instinctively fear them and overreact to them. If it's confusing and threatening, it must be true. Or at the very least, I can't afford to assume it isn't true. Today, it's artificial intelligence. The robots are not metal-clad humanoid figures threatening to grab you by the throat with their powerful claws and throttle the life out of you. They're programs written on microchips and downloaded into your laptop, phone, and smartwatch. Most of America sits firmly ensconced in one of two camps. One, that AI will eventually destroy the world. And two, that group one is entirely populated by idiots. Personally, I'm not in either camp, but I think both groups have a point. There's no doubt that yielding control over the most important systems in the world to mindless computer programs has an obvious downside. After all, even if the machines don't become sentient, the programmers behind the machines could have an agenda of their own, whether it's launching nuclear missiles, expanding the strike zone, or anything in between. By the same token, I am baffled at those who complain about how Facebook mysteriously knows how they've been thinking about a vacation to Iceland long before they ever visited a travel website, and yet they freely give Siri and Alexa power over absolutely everything in their lives, from playlists to door locks to the code for the gun safe. I know it sounds simplistic and repetitive for preachers like me to tell you just to have faith in God and it'll all work out. That doesn't make it untrue, though. You have factors in every aspect of your life, including a dozen or more you haven't even thought of, that have the potential to affect, ruin, or even end your life. You can live the rest of your life as a paranoiac, or you can do as the psalmist did, lean on God even more than you have before. Psalm 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? Or Psalm 118, 5 and 6. I called to the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and put me in a spacious place. The Lord is for me. I will not be afraid. What can a mere mortal do to me? Buy insurance if you like. I have some. I think it's part of being a responsible steward of God's gifts and a provider to my family. But for most of the problems in this world, including the worst ones, there is no insurance policy. Trust in God for those matters. And while you're at it, trust in him for the other matters as well. This is what I've been playing. Programming games is an entire genre of board gaming. Basically, a programming game requires you to train one of your workers to perform a particular action. It's worthless for anything until it's programmed, and it's worthless for anything else after it's programmed. Aquasphere is just such a game. I detailed my dim-wittedness with regard to Aquasphere in episode 152, the stupidity episode. Yes, board gaming sometimes brings out my self-doubts. Anyway, in Aquasphere, you're trying to build the best underwater research station at your gaming table. 
You spend the entire game programming robots. Some work on your submarines. Some develop technology. Some improve your economic engine. Some kill octopods, which apparently are octopus-like creatures that attach themselves to your habitat and suck at all your victory points. Kylie insists on calling them quadrupods, since technically the little wooden figures only have four tentacles. I try to tell her that they represent front and back appendages, like every other wooden animal we have in our game collection. She remains unconvinced. Whatever. All that to say, if you want your quadrupods cleaned out, you'd better put yourself on the path to program a robot a couple of turns in advance, so you'll have a robot programmed a turn in advance, so you'll be able to use the robot on the appropriate turn. So, planning ahead to make a plan to plan ahead. No wonder I'm so bad at Aquasphere. Maybe you have a coffee pot that turns on automatically at 6 a.m. Or a car with a remote control that'll turn the air conditioning on when you're still wrapping up your shopping trip. If not, I suspect in this modern era, you have some other technology in place that puts you in an advantageous position before you need that advantage. More power to if you do. And my apologies if I'm coming across as a Luddite this week. If it saves a second of time or a modicum of effort, believe me, I'm all for it. But is there a way to use similar systems to further a spiritual plan? Can you put either literal or virtual wheels in motion ahead of time so it can become easier to live your life as a Christian? I say yes, and here are a few suggestions on how you might automate your walk of faith. 1. Set your car up as a worship and edification center. I can tell from the download patterns that many of you listen to this podcast, and presumably others as well, while you're commuting. I think that's terrific. Feel free to listen at other times too, of course. But I love turning road time into podcast time, sermon time, hymn worship time, whatever I'm feeling in the moment. Put your playlist together before you get on the road, of course. No point in getting in a wreck while thumbing through episode titles. Then hit play and then hit the gas. Boom. Now your daily commute is a daily meditation. Better than what you're going to hear on the radio these days, if I do say so myself. Two, digitalize your prayers. Have a running list of individuals, events, and concerns on your device, which we all know is going to be in your hand or pocket or bag at all times, and keep that list constantly updated. When you have a new entry, pray a new prayer. When you take an item off, give thanks. Prayers are much more impactful for the one doing the praying if names and faces are involved. Three, surround yourself with good thoughts. The Hammondses love decorating the house with scripture. Maybe you prefer t-shirts or bumper stickers. Choose the medium of your choice. But find a way to put images in front of you that help you literalize Colossians 3.2. Set your mind on the things that are above. Yes, it can become rote. Just make sure it doesn't. Come up with your own programming method. But one way or another, make it part of your routine to remind yourself who you are and what you're supposed to be doing. Then be that and do that. Thank you for listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Please rate, review, and share so others can access this content. I encourage you also to join the Heaven Citizens Facebook group. There you will find links to related materials, conversation starters, poll questions, and the occasional special announcement. Also, check out the Hal Hammonds channel on YouTube for even more content. Until next time, be strong and courageous, fight the good fight of faith, and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, Citizen of Heaven, signing off.